With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. As you noticed in the intro there, that was Matt Cox counting down. And we got pretty close, actually, that time. We almost lined it up perfectly. This is the Game Theory Podcast. We're here to talk about college basketball today. And to do so, I've got three of my favorite people in the media to do it. Three of just the absolute uh, most beautiful human beings in all of sports media, (laughs) especially all of college basketball media. It's Jim Root. It's Kai McKeon. It's Matt Cox. It is the three-man weave. And we're here to preview the college basketball season a little bit. Why are we doing this in September? Well, Jim, Matt, and Kai played a critical role in building out what is being referred to as the Almanac, which is, I I don't know, what do you guys want to call it? The Field of 68's like big preseason college basketball Bible, I guess is a fair way to put it. Yeah, the Field of 68 doesn't get to own it. It's a shared venture. It's a joint venture with three-man weave and heat check college basketball and verbal commits. But yeah, it's a giant preview magazine, digital magazine with breakdowns of every single team. Sam, we think yeah. it has the potential to be the second best almanac ever created behind poor Richard's uh, Ben Franklin <laughs> almanac. So that we think we have very high high hopes for it, you know, in the grand historical scheme of, of almanacs. Well, I, I also have high hopes for it after I found out you guys did a majority of the work as opposed to Dosser and Goodman. Yeah, so right. that makes me happy. Uh, just knowing that you guys were the main people behind it makes me feel like there's a good chance that this will actually be valuable for people. I have no question that it will be now that they're involved. So everyone, when does it come out? Give me a date, guys. September 26th, 2022. It's really September soon. 26th, 2022. We're recording this on That's September right. 20th. This won't go up until uh, September 23rd. So you're still going to have three days to go and buy this thing at the pre-order link, which I will put in the show notes here, both on YouTube, where you can watch Jim, Kai, Matt, and I talk. And I'll put it in the show link on Apple, Spotify, all of the different podcasting apps that you can watch and listen to. Uh, yeah, if it's before it's out, use promo code hoops and you get 20% off. So instead of $20, it's 16 and we all like saving money. So definitely use that. Yeah, that is key. Okay. But we're going to talk about actual college basketball today. This is not just a two minute preview for this almanac. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about, it's going to be pretty general. Like I just want to dive deep into college basketball, uh, from a, I don't know, 5,000 foot view. Like, uh, I want to take a look at all of the major things and kind of prep listeners for what's going to be a fun college basketball year, a weird college basketball year, where it feels like there are a lot of bigs. It feels like there are some veteran teams that have returned that are going to be really fun to watch. And then there's an influx of a interesting freshman class. I don't know how strong in general the freshman class is, but I think that there is a lot of real talent. So let's just kind of go around i will start with kai oh where 
do you see college basketball sitting right now? I mean, how do you just kind of see what college basketball is in 2022, 2023? Uh, now that we have all of these transfers, we have all of these uh, freshman commitments, we have all of these weird things that are occurring that are new and novel to the past of college basketball. Yeah, I think it's better than ever, frankly, before UCLA and USC go to the Big Ten and ruin everything. Uh, but no, it, it, the talent level is as high as it's ever been. I think you have a deeper pool of actual contenders than you've seen in the past, especially Final Four contenders. And I think you have some real elite, elite squads this season in a Gonzaga, in a Houston that we've kind of been lacking the last couple of years. Truly, truly elite teams. So good spot. It's a different sport than the NBA now, Sam. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into yeah. this a little bit because of how the NBA sucks up the wings and the guards and, and the guys with the positional versatility that can go guard different players in, in the pros. So the bigs are the ones that linger in college basketball. And so there is sort of a lean to that as you look at like the National Player of the Year odds and some of the returning All-Americans. There's a lot of bigs. And also some of that is the NIL stuff because there's monetary incentives to come back yeah. to school now. These guys are making big bucks. So it, it may not be identical to the NBA, but we've always loved it for its differences from the NBA. And, and we will continue to do so, won't we, Matthias? Yes, differentiating from the NBA is like, as my sort of old curmudgeon, traditional college basketball purist, its soul likes to you know go after. I just The more we can maintain the uniqueness of the game is, is what I want. That's, that's where I think the alignment stuff kind of ruins it. Um, the transfer market while necessary evil, I think does rub fans the wrong way. And the fact that they don't kind of attach themselves to players that they watch year over year and grow like within the continuity, like the Kansas mid O's teams, right guys would be there for 20 years. Um, I, I worry about like the old purist fans out there getting turned off, but I think everything that's changing is like a good thing for the game long-term and like it was going to happen inevitably. So why try and swim against the current, I guess. Yeah, it's, Except- it's, it's interesting. Like, it feels like college kind of took some pieces from the NBA in terms of player movement and, like, being able to make money and, you know, added some of those pieces in terms of roster building. And honestly, I think that, like, that's the stuff that makes the NBA a year-round sport in a big way right. uh, and has, like, kind of dominated conversation. So I think it was really smart in many ways to continue to allow college basketball to have some breath within the marketplace uh, and within just like the news ecosystem in terms of value. Yeah. And then on the other side, on the court, it's just diverging further and further away from college or from the NBA, which is really interesting in and of itself, just in terms of bigs post-ups like Zach Eady is probably not going to play in the NBA, but he is going to be one of the most valuable players in college basketball this year. Armando Baycott, Drew Timmy. These are guys that the NBA just frankly weren't all that interested in. Uh, otherwise, they would be in the NBA right now because you make more money in the NBA uh, in some cases, maybe not Drew Timmy's case, uh, than in college. So it is interesting to see where it feels like they've picked and chosen little spaces from the NBA and from professional basketball while also diverging in real ways that allow it to maintain its own unique place within just like the sports ecosystem. I kind of love it now. Like it's beautiful. It's not like a one month, three week sport anymore. Right. I think there is some interest and intrigue in the off season, right? Obviously we'll never touch the NBA free agency Palooza, but 
it's nice to actually have some big news drops in August and July. Yeah, big transfers. You yeah. know what? Like, guys, I'll tell you this. The transfer rankings that I do every year now with CJ Moore, did them with Brian Bennett in the past. Those are the things that just slightly behind probably the draft guide get the most like views, get the most mm-hmm. interest of anything I do all year. Wow. Uh, it has become a very real important thing uh, to track within college basketball. Like it's more important than recruiting now, I think for the college basketball uh, game, but that's enough about just like the state of the game. Uh, I think people want to know about the teams. So I'll just start with this basic, simple baseline question. I mean, who is the favorite to win the national title this year? Like I, I can tell you based on BetMGM that Kentucky, Gonzaga, North Carolina, and Houston are all listed as co-favorites at 10 to 1. Uh, again, that's from BetMGM, the sportsbook partner of The Athletic. But wh- where do you guys fall? Because it feels like this thing is as tightly contested as I can remember. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams somewhere between 10 and 16 to one. And those are all of your nine favorites. That is just a wild uh, amount of like talent right there that is just tightly competing at the top. So let's start with Kai again. Who do you see as the favorite to win the national title this year? For me, it's Gonzaga. That's been my my national favorite every single year, though, for the last five years or so. <laughs> uh, but but it's true they they really don't have any weaknesses. Yeah. At least as far as I can see, you look top to bottom. Drew Timmy coming back for what seems like his tenth season in college, right? Arguably the best player in the country. You have Strother, who could be an All American on the wing, possibly an, an NBA guy too. Uh, Sam, I have to check with your rankings on that one. And then their guard plays really yeah. good. Malachi Smith from Chattanooga was SoCon Player of the Year. Nolan Hickman, Rasir Bolton, just tons and tons of talent and depth, backcourt and frontcourt, make them my favorite. But as you said about the the odds that you're seeing at MGM and other places, it really shows you how tight it is at the top this year, something we've seen uh, or haven't seen in the last few years in college basketball. It's very competitive. A lot of different teams can win it, I think, this season. Jim? Yeah, I'll go Houston. I think of that group that you mentioned, the top four. They're the only team whose best player is a guard or likely is a guard. And I, I still lean towards that backcourt. I mean, I think the, the 2021 Baylor team is maybe the best college basketball team we've seen in quite a few years, maybe since 2015 Kentucky. And they just had three different playmakers on the perimeter that could attack mismatches that could light it up from uh, the perimeter. And I kind of think we'll see something similar with Houston between Sasser, Shed, and Traymond Mark. And you just know the Cougars are going to defend like crazy. They, they challenge every single shot. They're one of the best teams year over year in defensive three-point percentage, which is usually not predictive or, or controllable for a, def- uh, for a defense. And yet Houston has found a way. So I, I just am very content with the coaching, the guard play, the young influx of talent that they have coming in that we'll, we'll cover a little bit too. But it's Houston for me, Matthew. Where, where do you reside? I give it the slight edge to Gonzaga. But I think the broader point, like Kai mentioned, I'm just looking at like the Ken Palm Gonzaga list of teams historically. I think this could be the worst team Fuse had in the last five years, and it could still be the best team in the country. <laughs> like I, I think this is a year of no yeah. great teams, a lot of really, 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 really good teams. So that's why I think it's fun, right? We, we won't be talking about this team like we talk about, like we romance about the Villanova teams, we romance about the Anthony Davis, Michael K. Gil- Gilchrist, Kentucky team, right? But I think this is the year where you have... Legitimately, 15, 20 teams that have a chance, I think, to, to cut down the nets. 
I think that's right. Like it, it feels totally crazy. Like you look at a team like even Tennessee, like I know that a lot of the um a lot of the projection, like early season stuff, is really, really high on Tennessee uh, because their defense is basically always consistent. They have a lot of returning upperclassmen, you know, Santiago Viscovi, Josiah Jordan-James. They bring in Tyreek Key with whatever he can get or they can get out of him. Uh, Kamwa, you have Zakai Ziegler. Like, you have a lot of guys that could actually be really valuable pieces for Tennessee. Like, that team is probably going to compete near the top of – the SEC this year, and it feels like they're like not even being discussed. You look at, for instance, where they are in terms of like winning the national title. I think that they're something like the like fifteenth favorite at twenty five to one, and that team like I think has a genuine chance if some of those guys break out and if Tyree Key is healthy. So like it, a, it does. There are many Gonzaga of people are skeptical because of past tournaments. They're like Gonzaga hasn't won, so they're not going to be. Yeah. The they shouldn't be the favorite. Rick Barnes hasn't made the second weekend in forever, so they can't be. A favorite, but we always we always rebel against tournament narratives because it's such a luck based event that you don't want to put too much into it. Yeah, no, I agree. But let's spend a minute here and talk about Houston because I, I think Houston is going to be my favorite team this year. Uh, they are loaded in the backcourt with Marcus Asser and Jamal Shedd. They have legitimate wing talent in Tremont Mark, Terrence Arsenault, and I will tell you this: like I have heard awesome things about Jairus Walker. Uh, thus far, uh, anyone that has seen him play this offseason has just been like very, very excited about what he's going to bring to the table for Houston, just in terms of playing hard, defensive ability, uh, scoring prowess. Uh, you look at uh, just the depth that they have. I mean, I, I guess that like you could complain that they don't have a ton of true bigs, but. I don't know, like they're going to be able to play small with Jarris, maybe even at the five at times and just switch everything and be hyper aggressive. And they're going to be almost impossible to guard if they do that, because uh, Shed and Sasser are going to have space. They're both pull up shooters like it's it's going to be tough, I think, to deal with Houston this year. Well, they're yeah, so it, physical, like the, it, yes. the size guys. It's like less I'm less worried that they don't have a 610 monster center because every guy is such a bully they're all strong they clearly spend time in the weight room kai they're they're, they're oh, yeah. a hop off the bus type of team That's right uh, so yeah i'm not as i'm not as worried about the big kai but i, I just i think that team's going to be dominant no i it's because they're so well coached they're they're well coached yeah. they're, they're positioning on defense they're rebounding literally rebound drills every single practice i think kelvin sampson's the best coach in the country uh period and i think he's proven that over the last five years it's just now everyone's starting to notice that with houston yeah. They were awesome last season. They were awesome two years ago, three years ago. Now the cat's out of the bag, and that plus this five-star talent coming in and Walker, that makes them very scary, very dangerous now on everyone's radar. It felt like there was a significant like marginal advantage to betting Houston just with the mm-hmm. Samson factor uh, the yeah. last few years, just because people like didn't quite recognize it because yep. he has that like stink on him from the bullshit like texting scandal, Indiana, right? yep. quote unquote, <laughs> which is all now legal in yes. Indiana. <laughs> that's all now legal and everything. Yeah, but like I, I feel like he went drastically underrated as a coach just for so many years because he had that stink on him for whatever reason that people seem to care about like the stupid rules that the NCAA enforces. Uh, it, it was awesome. So I, I guess like I'll follow up with this. Who are the coaches in the country that you guys trust most outside of Samson 
in terms of getting the most out of a single roster and in terms of in-game management adjustments. I'm, I'm kicking this to Matthias. I think he's he's got a <laughs> oh, here opinions we go. here. I think the get gets the most out of the least, if we're going to use that criteria. And I think there's a million ways to skin this cat. But I think Randy Bennett yeah. last year was was sort of yeah. reminded people what an awesome coach he was. Um, had that COVID-ruined season the year prior, and I think people kind of s- slept on them. And they snuck up on people last season. And that roster was good, but not overly talented. I think he's kind of engineering this new sort of mini wave. I, I, t- I talk about to Kaijin behind the scenes. Like it was all pace and space and imitate Golden State Warriors for years. Now I think like the new cheat code is inverting the floor with like playing through the post and trying to find a, an awesome post up guy who can pass and you can play through, whether it's a guard or, or a big. And you've seen St. Mary's, Wyoming's been kind of the, the, the big adopter of that too. I think Ben is just like an all time rolls with the changes, adapts with the times, adjusts to his roster better than anyone in the country on a year to year basis. Yeah, I, I probably would have said yeah. Chris Beard a couple of years ago, but I, now I think it might be Mark Adams. I mean, you saw what he did with Texas Tech. Expectations were kind of low for that team last year, and sure, they have talent, but it's not overwhelming five-star talent, and he did a great job last season. So he comes to mind along with Ben. I think that's a great answer for Matt as yeah. well. Scott Drew is another guy I love just because yeah. he's kind of adapted. And, and you know, we, we didn't really mention last year, Samson, dealing with the injuries to Sasser and Mark and maintaining – a thoroughly elite squad. Baylor had the same thing. Uh, LJ Cryer got hurt. Langston Love didn't play a single minute all season. Jonathan Chamochachua got hurt late in the year, and they were still a one seed and were in the overtime against North Carolina, uh, although they got down big in that one. But uh, he's just been able to roll with punches in a similar way to Samson, and I always feel like he's getting pretty close to the max out of his teams these days. Yeah, I want to talk about Baylor for a second. Uh I want to see more out of Mark Adams. I will say that. Uh, I want to see what they look like this year, I I guess. Uh, I always trust the defense, but I hated a lot of what they did offensively last year. (laughs) So I I have some concerns there. Uh, But let's talk about Baylor because I think Baylor is going to be a fascinating team this year. Scott Drew is so good at just Mm -hmm. running – sensible offense that like you you watch their team and it's just like this just makes sense what they're running every single time down the court they play pace and space they figure out how to make it work defensively i I love watching scott jury teams they're probably my favorite teams in the country now uh to watch offensively i think that what they do is just like intricate and smart and it has the right principles like everything that they do makes sense to me and this is again a loaded baylor team in terms of offensive talent you look at guys like lj crier who is a monster pull-up shooter adam flagler who's a monster pull-up shooter keontae george is a monster pull-up shooter and scorer uh you look at the team that baylor had that won the national title in 2020 uh 2021 i'm sorry it is kind of a it's a different version of this but it's a pretty similar roster construction to that team and they still have the bigs and flow thamba and whatever they get out of jonathan chamochachua coming off of the knee injury uh and then you have langston love you have jalen bridges is like the big four Mm -hmm. switchable versatile corner three-point shooter that uh will be valuable for them i think that they are going drastically under the radar especially if keontae george is who i kind of think he is after that canadian tour that they took this summer I've been kind of sitting on the Texas showdown in Houston for the national title all year, like all off season. I've been saying Houston Baylor, two best backcourts. 
uh, apologies, I guess, to RJ Davis and Caleb Love at North Carolina. But I just think those teams are loaded with multiple playmakers. Matt, I know you've been in in on Baylor for quite a while this offseason as well. They were just they were limited last year, but now they have all their big guns back, and it's going to be quite a quite a year. Yeah, they have kind of this guard you type of mantra starting to develop. Like whatever guards they bring in the next six years, I'm going to probably think they're going to be awesome. You know, that just that with you know it's Mitchell and T and Butler, and now with Flagler, Cryer, and even Love, I think kind of has a reputation. Like I'm just going to bet big on every guard that that Scott Drew rolls into that program for the next five years until he has a couple of duds. Um, but at this point, man, I just, you're right. It seems like the Houston, the Gonzaga, you know, the Kansas, the blue bloods, Kentucky Dukes are somewhat overshadowing Baylor. Um, so I'm just sad to see my guy, Matthew Meyer go. Kyle, you remember when, days. you remember when like, is Scott drew good was a storyline. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, we can't trust him in the tournament. He's they're They're going to give out. It's that's, like, I guess coaches get better too. You know, that's why those narratives were silly. They said the same thing about Jay Wright until he won two yeah. titles in what, three years, four years. Uh, yeah, he's an incredible coach, Scott Drew. He's just like Kelvin Sampson. And his teams, I think, nine straight years, top 10 offensive rebounding rates. It's, it's a lot of the same pillars that Sampson has. It's a very disciplined team, plus talent equals national title contender. But at, at, Before we make every Kansas f- fan irate, let's go ahead and mention Bill Self's name in this conversation. Sam, I think you brought up yeah. his name explicitly when we were in New Orleans talking about you know underrated yeah. coaches. Obviously, the time yeah. was, was was pretty you know momentous there, but... He can coach too. He's, he, he's the one, yeah. yeah, that in game I trust most. I think he is the so. best in game coach in the country in terms of knowing what ATO to queue up, knowing what adjustments to push, knowing what lineup, uh, you know, can go out there and make a big change in the game in terms of momentum. I, I trust everything that Bill Self is doing. It, like he runs the right sets at the right time. Like he knows exactly what mismatches to hammer time after time on the court. I think Bill Self is absolutely a genius basketball coach. Yeah, I have they, no, they, yeah. they like for so long, we're known as the two big high, low like machine. And then he swept into four out with Sabi Mikhailuk at the yeah. four, the two point guard stuff. He's been kind of ahead of the curve on yeah. uh, playing with a bunch of big wings last year and, and a true post threat in the corner. Like he, he's just adapted to all different kinds of rosters and wins the big 12 almost every year, no matter what. So yeah, he, he yeah. totally deserves a mention there. And, and I'm very interested to see what that team looks like. I do think I would have Baylor ahead of them in the preseason, just in terms of like talent level. Uh, and Scott Drew, obviously, as we just talked about, is an incredible coach. I, I just don't know what to expect out of Kevin McCuller jumping into a more centralized, potentially offensive role. Uh, Jalen Wilson being the go-to guy now, essentially. I thought he had a great close to last year in the regular mm-hmm. season, but I just don't totally know what to expect. And then, I mean, do they get enough from the freshmen, I guess? Like Grady Dick, MJ Rice, uh, who, who's the big? Udo? Uh, Uday? Uday. Uday. Yeah, yeah. Uday. Uh, so, like, uh, do they get enough from those guys to make up for the questions that – the upperclassmen could potentially bring. I, I think that they probably can, but I, I, I want to see it, I guess is what I would say before I like jump into Kansas, but Bill Self will coach them up and he will put them in the position to succeed at the very least.
think that the next place I want to go jumping off of Kansas is the idea of these blue blood programs because Kansas obviously fits this bill. And then North Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky are obviously three of the top 10 teams entering the preseason, again, for different reasons. North Carolina returns all of R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, Leaky Black, you know, number of really high-level players that made the national championship last year. Uh, Duke brings in a freshman class loaded with, like, bigs more than anything with Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively. And then Kentucky has this, like, mishmash of both. Both, where it's Case and Wallace and Chris Livingston coming in, but they also retain Oscar Shibwe and you know guys like Jacob Toppin and Severe Wheeler and guys like that. So, which of those three teams, K- uh, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, do you trust most? I will start with Jim. I'll say Kentucky. Uh, and it's interesting with the potential change in the uh, the one and done rule. Like he, it's almost like Calipari's seen that coming, and he started to adjust where yeah. he's not as reliant on one and dones anymore. He's he's really ventured into the portal. They've gotten some seriously key pieces out of there. Uh, they've mm-hmm. got CJ Frederick from Iowa and Antonio Reeves from Illinois State to be their kind of wing snipers, give them spacing around Shibwe. And Shibwe's an awesome defensive player too, like a great hands. He, oh, he's really mobile. Jim. <laughs> No, oh, I, think he is. I think he is. No, I, I'm not no, saying he's going to go be a pro level like guard in space in the NBA. Watch the St. Peter's game. They, they like he got obliterated by St. So, Peter's. DeAndre Ayton got obliterated by Buffalo too, and he wasn't a horrible <laughs> defender. He ended up just fine. That's true. I agree. Everybody hey, that, has hey, a that, that Buffalo team is a TBT juggernaut. By the way, we can talk about that later if we want <laughs> as a team. But. I, I um, think that I think Shibwe is pretty overrated on defense. I'll be honest. I, I think he really hmm. struggles in space, and I think that uh, his rim protection isn't quite as good as what I agree with. Like the hand stuff, and like he's yeah, typically that's... like disruptive in a real way, and there is real value to ending possessions defensively for sure. But yeah, when I watch Oscar, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a guy that I think coaches can kind of scheme basically to take advantage of. Yeah, that, that's why he's not in the pros right now. Like he, because he right. can't defend totally. in space. But I think he can still be thoroughly dominant in, dominant in college. And because they brought in some shooting, like at, at this point, if you say Wheeler and Shibuya are their two best players, neither of those guys can hit a jumper. But they added stuff around them, and it sounds like Wallace is a badass in practice. Like a, <laughs> he's a bulldog defender, downhill beast. So I'm, I'm excited. Badass is the play. right way to put it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, it's Kentucky. Uh, Matt, Kai, Kai I'll, I'll kick it to you. Which which one? Because I know Matt wants to wax poetic about Duke. I yeah, that's my answer. Spoiler. Well, I'll take I'll take UNC then. Uh, although I like the Kentucky answer because it's what I like most about Calipari teams when he has the combination of experience plus awesome freshmen. I feel like he tends to do a lot better than just freshmen only. But yeah. UNC is a pretty easy answer because it's basically the same team that made championship last year and you just replace Brady Manic with Pete Nance who might be better overall than Manic yeah. and that's saying a lot because that guy was freaking awesome in the tournament last year but Nance is so versatile uh, also a great passer can shoot rebound does everything on the floor and I, I keep holding out hope that Caleb Love gets um, a little bit smarter on the basketball court this year stops taking too many hero shots RJ Davis you know it, it, he's he's more of a steady presence back there but him and Love, you know, for all their inconsistencies and the narrative around them, that's a pretty good backcourt and probably the best in the country. So I, I just want to note here on Kentucky first. 
before we move to Duke, because I think Duke is an interesting conversation in and of itself. And I'm sure that Matt's going to talk about Duke. Uh, when John Calipari teams have shot at least 35% from three, their track record in the tournament. In 2019, they shot 35.4% from three, Elite Eight. 2018, 35.7 from three, Sweet 16, 35.3% from three in 2017, Elite Eight. Uh, the 36.6% number that they shot in 2016, that was the round of 32 team that, if I remember correctly, did they lose to Indiana? Does yep. that sound that right? Yep. Kevin, Kevin Knox team, I think, right? Or no, it wasn't Kevin Knox. It was that Ulysses was the Murray. Jamal. I thought it was the Murray and yep. Ulysses team, yep, right? right? It's a great um, IU team. Yeah. 35% in 2015, Final Four. Uh, and then in 2012, they shot 38% from three, won the title. 39.7% from three in 2011, Final Four. So when John Calipari teams have shot well in the past, like I think this team has potential to do, uh, with guys like CJ Frederick, uh, assuming he can get on the court for a, a number of minutes, uh, Antonio Reeves, those two guys specifically as sport floor spacers that should shoot over 40% from three, they really do tend to have success. Like I think that that is a critical factor here, especially when surrounding Oscar Shibway, particularly who's going to get a ton of offensive rebounds, create a ton of second chance opportunities. They have a chance to be a really, really good offense this year, especially when, you know, severe Wheeler is going to have actual space to operate right. uh, with Oscar, just kind of, you know, attacking the offensive glass off of his misses. Cause he's not the best finisher at the rim. Uh, North Carolina, I think is awesome. I think they're going to be great. Uh, they're the team that I would pick here in terms of just trust. Part of it is exactly what Kai said, like Pete Nance. Uh, I think Pete Nance is awesome. I think mm-hmm. Pete Nance is super, super valuable. Um, a bit different than Brady Manick, just because he's a real uh, defensive player. And Brady mm-hmm. Manick, I think, got a little bit underrated defensively. I agree. Nance yep. Yes. Yeah, like Nance's ability to be like a legit difference. Yeah, it's, he can be like a difference no, maker as like a rim protector next to Armando Baycott while also stepping out and spacing the floor from three uh, in a similar way, although maybe not as like mobile versatile in terms of the sets you can run uh, that you could with Brady Manick. Uh, that team's going to be awesome as long as Caleb Love uh, is doesn't like shoot them out of games occasionally. I think they probably have like a little bit of a variance factor because of that like potential. Um, Matt, tell me about Duke though, because Duke is a fascinating group here. They are. Uh, they have a new basketball coach. I call him Coach S. I think that's been dubbed <laughs> somewhere else. I don't want to be like the. I don't want to mint that my yeah, own creation. But the Coach S. Um, yeah, it's it has actually a lot of the 2016 similarities to it, where it's most it's a lot of freshmen, but it's mostly in the front court, and they have a veteran presence in the back court. Now, I'm not saying Jeremy Roach is Quinn Cook reliable, and they don't have a a, a co pilot as good as Tyus Jones was. But you're I talking think Roach 15? Three, are you talking 15? 15? Sorry, 16, 15. Thank you. <laughs> my, my years are off. 15, uh, the year of the three dominant squads, uh, Kentucky and Wisconsin. But I think Roach proved he was like an elite lead guard last year down the stretch. I think the light bulb clearly flicked on. And all of my Duke love is sort of agnostic of the fact that Derek Whitehead's injury seems to be kind of a thing now. And I don't um, I think he's pretty key to this team's success. It seems like he has all of the makings of a college player who comes in as like a five star, but like is college ready. Like he's not a project. He's polished, has a good feel for the game. Um, and then just the size up front, I think they're going to be able to protect the rim. I mean, Shire emphasized that in our almanac discussion. Like, 
Like we can really protect the rim. And I kind of thought they should have done a better job that last season with Mark Williams. But like you look at their interior defense stats, they were good, not great. I think mm-hmm. they'll actually be better in that department this season. Um, so they have a good high defensive foundation. I think they have a deeper, more balanced team than they have than they had last year. And they have a coach who, quite frankly, is going to, I think, pull levers and push buttons when he needs to, as opposed to sometimes sort of reverting to rooting for the talent that he acquired. <laughs> do How's you for a- dare? Do you dare question and besmirch the legacy Never of happened. Mike Krzyzewski as a coach? It's all Coach S and looking ahead. Duke fans have to turn off the rear view, <laughs> and you have to look forward from the, the beacon that is Mr. Shire. He is your future. Oh. You have to follow him devoutly. And you have to also shame Coach K as you do it. That's part of the thing. <laughs> it's like a loyalty show to Coach S. You can't kind of have your your feet on both sides of the fence there. It's not how this works. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. I just have no idea how this is going to operate at Duke, I guess. Like, that's my thing. I think they're going to look better offensively. I will say that. Like, watching Duke uh, got a bit – Duke's talent, like, overwhelmed teams offensively. Right, and they right. were just, like – so gifted that they made it work but like watching the way their offense ran like was pretty ugly at times over these last like five or six years i thought with coach k um defensively i'll be interested to see how they make it work with filipowski and lively i will say that it's going to be they will protect the rim i totally agree with that i think that filipowski has enough skill to play the four in the college game offensively i don't know about defensively necessarily just in terms of mobility but like Filipowski can handle the ball. He can pass really well. He's a shooter. Um, you won't get as much out of him in the post just because Lively's going to be there. But, like, I really like Filipowski's skill level. I think he's probably the guy I would trust to, like, I think he'd be the guy that will lead their team in scoring. Wow, Matt. I think it's Matt's, Whitehead. Matt thinks I'm he's kind of selling Filipowski this year. I, I, think, I love I think Filipowski too, man. I, I, think the he only, is, I think he's the yeah. one freshman that's short of, I'm not saying he's going to flop, but I think he's the guy where he's maybe having his ebbs and flows more clearly, you know, when we talk about this in like mid-December or something. So. Sam, where are you I, at I, on Proctor? I want to I hear, I guess go Proctor's Phil's on first, then Proctor's Proctor awesome. Proctor's the So, yeah, I, I would have said Whitehead before the foot injury in terms of leading Duke and scoring, but the foot injury like worries me a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. those tend to linger uh, just in terms of like, especially a guy that we have some questions about in terms of his jumper. And uh, we have like, I agree with you totally. Like I have some like polished questions on him. Like a lot of what he does is like straight line power drives to the basket, um, physically overwhelming guys at the high school level. A lot of the time. Um, and he can do that in college. Like I think that he's strong enough and capable enough to do so. Mm-hmm. But if he's, 90% of what he's capable of even what is that drop off I guess is my concern I, I really like Filipowski's skill set a lot uh, but in terms of Proctor I think he's an awesome fit next to Jeremy Roach in the backcourt more than anything like you're gonna free up Jeremy Roach to be able to score a little bit Proctor is awesome in ball screens he's so good as a passer and playmaker he's also a good defender at six foot four um you're going to be able to be a little bit more versatile in terms of where you can i don't want to say hide jeremy roach defensively like i don't think he's a bad defender but proctor's size and his uh tenacity on that end is going to allow you to mix and match a little bit more in terms of where you can play him i think uh yeah, I love the fit there. I think that Proctor is going to be like a critical piece in getting all of these guys involved. Uh, he, he's one that I think I probably fucked up not ranking in my preseason mock draft. 
I, I think that he might be a one and done, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I think wow. he's really good. Can I ask you about Matt's coach, coach S take that he said on our <laughs> podcast that I wanted to skewer him for? He said he would Please. rather have he'd rather have John Shire coaching Duke than Billy Donovan. How do you feel about that? He didn't. Sam, he I didn't realize Billy Donovan was. This is my rage. thing with the NBA. Like good yeah, coaches yeah. go from good to bad overnight, and they go from bad to good overnight. So I missed like the Billy Donovan becoming a good coach again. Like he was like the butt of jokes for years. I thought at OKC was he? Or, or uh, yeah, Chicago? Was Where was he? He was so his first couple of years, people had some questions about him as a coach in Oklahoma City. It kind of turned a little bit uh, by the end of his tenure at Oklahoma City. Like you look back at the what was it? I think it was the 2019 20 year when they went 44 and 28. That was like the year that he made the three point guards with like Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Dennis okay. Schroeder work. He's doing some good um, stuff. Yeah, and since then, like he he's made it work. Like I think that that Bulls roster is not ideal in terms of like NBA construction, with the way that you know Nikola Vucevic and Demar Derozan and like Pat Williams all really like to kind of be in that like mid range, like mid post area, and they, he runs like really creative stuff to kind of make sure that they don't bump into each other. And uh, he staggers his lineups pretty well. He figured out like late last year that they could go small with like Caruso and uh, or like midway through last year. I'm sorry, where like they could go small with like Caruso and Lonzo and then Levine and DeRozan and really make it almost impossible to guard them before Caruso and Lonzo got hurt. So yeah, no, I, I think Billy Donovan's really good. I would probably rather a Billy Donovan. Uh, that's not it's probably a, the right take. It's probably yeah, I mean, not like, a slight hit Shire, yeah, who I think is going right to be. Take. I think Shire is going to be awesome. By the way, like yeah, I'm with Sam here, guys. People sure are what he's doing. Rick Pitino went to pros and got laughed out of it and came back and was immediately an elite yeah, coach. Right. I, mean, I don't think Billy right. Donovan failing at OKC would have. He won a couple of titles. He, he didn't fail <laughs> yeah, at OKC. Right, 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 right. If, if he had like, failed, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say this: I. I I trust Shire more than I trust like late career coach K in terms yes. of getting yes. the most. You can't know that guys. You can't know that. Yeah. I, 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 I reject the one, He coached like, the Wake this. Forest game last year and Matt was, Matt was like diving into the tape on that one. It's more that look, I, I don't think it's worth diving into the tape on that. It's more that I think <laughs> coach K didn't say it. Say quite it. do enough How to elevate. You. Duke at times uh, over you. the later portion of his career. Would you think uh, the fact that Zion had like nine ball screens his entire <laughs> freshman year was an issue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do actually. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, you look at that Duke team last year, they went 32 and seven. They were really good and they were so talented, right? Uh, I, it's just like, look at the way they used Paulo and like, look at what his skill set is. I mean, he can like he can play point and yeah, it took passer. him it took him a while it took him like two thirds of the year to figure out that Paulo was their best passer and playmaker uh, on it took that like two thirds of the Arkansas game to put him in the mid post <laughs> and let him yeah. just pick apart that defense and he finally yeah <laughs> so like look like maybe maybe Shire it takes him like a bit of time to figure it out but. Look, and this is all due respect to what Coach K accomplished. He's a phenomenal coach and was an incredible coach in like the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I think that people caught up to him in like a pretty real substantial way. 
and uh, what Duke was getting out of K later in his career was probably not as valuable as what they got out of him early in his career yeah. in terms of on coach or on court like coaching. Um, so I, I would bet on Shire being an upgrade, but that obviously there's variance there, like what Kai is saying. Um, like we we don't know with Shire. Shire more, or Hubert Davis, Mister Bassini. I'm pushing you on that. Oh God, that's gross. That's one where I'm like, <laughs> we don't know enough about Shire yet. Hubert's yeah. really good. Like Hubert yeah. figured that out last year um, by midseason with a roster that like still like barely like it made sense as a roster, but like they didn't have certain things. Like Caleb Love was an inconsistent playmaker. They figured out how to like get RJ Davis uh, into like a bit more space and like make that work a little bit more and like let him uh, initiate the offense and let Caleb like be the guy that could just focus on scoring. Right. Um, They figured out different sets to get Brady Manic open threes. Like they actualized leaky black. Like here's the other thing that people kind of forget too. like early in the year last year, I think they were expecting Dawson Garcia to be like a pretty important piece for them at least off the bench like to be like a sixth man that like carries their he was uh, starting units. he was starting but like yeah. you know at the very least i think they were anticipating that and he just departed and they had to adjust on the fly to something totally different and hubert figured it out and like maybe you can say that that limited roles and made things a little bit easier on some level but uh yeah i, I think that the way hubert adjusted over the course of the season was very very impressive to me the answer yeah. is Hubert, Matthew. I think the answer... What? How can you be so confident in that, Mr. McKeon? Because like he made a national title last year. <laughs> Did we just talk about how the tournament's a crapshoot? Did we just talk about how the tournament's a crapshoot? Weren't they like the number three team in the country from February 1st? Yeah, they, they, they really... No, they're awesome. I'm not, dis- I'm not discounting that. Great I don't season. think... You know, like Hubert has like a decade-long track record here, and Shire has zero track record. I think it's going to be pretty close. I think both are very good coaches. Yeah. So I don't know how you can answer Shire right now. You can't. There's no evidence. Yeah, I, we're we're projecting. We're projecting. We're predicting. Based we're on what? Based, based on, on the Wake Forest game, Kai. That's right. Wake based Forest, based on what Matt Duke. wants to see, what he hopes to see. Yeah, yeah. right. There's there's one thing everyone knows. It's that uh, the Duke coaching tree never fails, and never everyone's <laughs> always a really good coach that went to Duke and coached under Coach K. Yeah, there's so much those guys always work that, out to take over for K because all those guys just won <laughs> like crazy at every other spot. Yes. <laughs> I've brought out the bullying Matt uh, zone here, and, uh, which is beautiful. Yeah. It's our yeah. favorite part of There's our There's actually podcast. a good, uh, <laughs> like a good it, Wojo yes. article today, Sam, in your, uh, in your publication. So how, uh, how timely mm. we can promote that right now. He's, uh, he's oh, chilling out in Utah right now. Goodness, I love it. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's go to this idea that this is the year of the big man, which we've alluded to a little bit. Obviously, Armando Baycott's back. Hunter Dickinson is back. Drew Timmy is back. Colin Castleton is back. Uh, like, just look across the country, and there are an enormous number of very, very, very high-level big men that decided against turning professional and decided to return to college basketball. How? Let's start here. Who do we think is the best of those guys, and then who do we think is the most consequential decision to return to college basketball? Uh, in terms of affecting the national race, mm. I will start with Kai. Uh, best is Temi. I, I've, I've thought he's been a top five player last two years in college basketball. Shouldn't drop off anymore. Keeps getting smarter, more experienced. So Temi's my answer for best player. Most consequential. 
I think it's probably Armando Baycott in terms of uh, what the team would be without him coming back and what the team is with him coming back, a.k.a. a lot of people's number one team in the country right now. I, I, you would not see that if he was gone. They, they'd probably be outside the top 10, maybe even lower. Possibly you could say Hunter Dickinson affects Michigan the same way. I think Kentucky would be fine without Shibway, to be honest, even though I do think he's among the best players in the country. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's Baycott, Matthew. What are you laughing at? Sam's, Sam's cackling a mute at, at that Oscar comment. That's what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What, I mean, what I, I say? Look, I have some questions about Oscar, but good fucking God, Kai. <laughs> They'd be fine without him. They'd be. They're Kentucky. Worse. They're good. I mean, look, they would have. Here's the thing if, if Oscar wouldn't have come back, they would have figured out someone in the port. Right. Basically, right. I think is the yeah, way. And, well, and I, the one thing I like about you and C2. I do, but the Kai, what I like about your point is I don't think Nance goes there if Baycat's not back. Like I, I think that's probably part of building sure. yeah. that foundation. And I, I don't know for sure if Love returns if if Baycat doesn't come back. Like maybe there is some sort of uh domino effect with them. Right. And Baycat was kind of the, the tone setter, the the beast inside that played on the ankle and in the finals and, and gave them that emotional lift. So I kind of buy that as like the most impactful on national rankings. Uh, Matt, do you have a, a different answer? I was I guess Timmy's the best, right? I think I we said this in our podcast. He's gone from he's now like underrated because people have over nitpicked his flaws. I think in too many big national games where I mean, he's still an awesome player and his post game is you know very it's otherworldly and I think he's still actually has room to improve and I think we'll see like minor steps this season from Timmy. Um, I, I can I say a tie between Colin Castleton and. Um, and Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton, two teams that I think had the potential yeah. to creep into like that top 10 range. We talk about there's a lot of teams that can win the title. I don't, I'm not ready to put Creighton in title conversation. I'm not really ready to put Florida there, but you could see a world in which they both are in that conversation by February, and the key reasons will be Kalk and, and Castle up front, just with how well they protect the rim and I think how quickly their offensive games are are, are growing. I know Florida's going to try and use uh, Castle as more as like a – you know, play through him, right? Back to that whole play through the post, find, to help to develop your your passing out of the post, and that's kind of a new cheat code in college, in my opinion. I want to bully Matt for saying a tie because that's such a Matt move, but I like it. it. Is a tie. I, I approve of the answer because we like both well, of those big guys. They're awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Like the, the next question I was going to ask is, who do you think is the most underrated big in the country? And I was, like, I wanted Kalk to talk about those two guys. Kalk yeah, Kalkbrenner yeah, Kalk like would have been like a real answer for me. His defensive ability is like phenomenal. I think like he basically lifted up that Creighton team defensively and he never and fouls away. somehow. Like yeah. despite yeah. all that. Yeah, I like I, 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 I really think Kalkbrenner is last year. One. Was, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's weird to me because you look at the projections, for instance, on Torvik, right? Like. Creighton is a top 20 projected defense in like an offense that is projected outside of the top 40. Yeah. Uh, Upside down world. That it, but like also like doesn't really line up to me. Uh, they have a loaded team in terms of like shooting, playmaking, uh, like decision making. Like they have three legit guards who can dribble past shoot in Ryan Nemhard. Uh, Trey Alexander and now Baylor Shireman. Shireman is an absolute sniper. They have a killer mid post option uh, for bailout plays with Arthur Kaluma, who's going to be really, really important for them and might be their best long term prospect. They have great depth, not just good depth, but great depth yeah, in the backcourt with Farabello and Sharif Mitchell, who can be an impact player defensively uh, to come in and like kind of change the pace of things. And then on top of it, 
they have Mason Miller who can come in and like potentially space the floor. I, I think Creighton is loaded. Like if you believe in their defense because Ryan Kalkbrenner is there, I think you should absolutely believe in their offense because for all of you know Greg McDermott, whatever you want to say about the guy, the guy is a fucking phenomenal offensive basketball coach that is going to know how to use these options in terms of shooting and floor spacing and playmaking in a really creative way. I think Creighton's like a no doubt, like top 10 team for me, uh, given the fact that I can actually trust them defensively because of Ryan Kalkbrenner. Right. They're not no doubt top 10 for me. Their offense was outside the top 100 last year with all of the brilliance of McDermott. And I think everybody's, but they were young. They were young last year, Jimmy. Come I, on. Their best player is gone. Ryan Hawkins was the guy that made them competent in some – like if you watch the game, it's like, yeah, well, Hawkins yeah. hit a big shot, thank God. I think everybody is painting their sophomores with this exact straight-up development curve brush. Yeah. They're all going to be the best versions of themselves because like people pick out the final three games of Kaluma and the – like a little bit down the stretch of Alexander, and they ignore the bad samples. Nemhard pre-injury, yeah. yeah, yeah. And some of those guys had some really bad stretches. Nemhard was a horrific shooter last year, and yeah. I think that matters. You can't just like Kaluma too. Like you can't just pick out these good games from these guys. And people did this with Rocket Watts, his final like three games at Michigan State of his freshman year, and then he sucked his sophomore year. Like there, it's not automatic that these guys get better and become the version you want them to be. And I think they'll still have ups and downs and maybe the best version at the end of the year when they've developed is national title contender. But I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a rockier road than people are assuming. Sam, can I, I ask? Yeah, 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 go ahead. This year's Creighton team or 2020's Creighton team with Zagorowski? Uh, 2020 had Zagorowski. They had Ballack, who else was on that team? Tyshawn Alexander, Bishop, Ballack, yep. Jefferson. It was like Mahoney was on that team. Yep. Uh, yeah. This team for Goggles sure Mahoney, is more. Baby. This team is for sure more for talented. Sure. Wow. Uh, look, I, it, it, it's because of the defensive side of the court. Like, like for as much as we loved Tyshawn Alexander uh, and his ability to defend at the point of attack, like Kalkbrenner is undeniably like a more valuable defensive player than Tyshawn, right? Agreed. Um, yeah. And then they have like a similar amount of like floor spacing and dribble pass shoot. Uh, maybe not quite a similar amount in terms of like, in terms of like Alexander Zagorowski and Balak were all like absolute snipers. Whereas you're hoping that Alexander and Nemhard take a leap forward as shooters. But like Shireman is on their level as as a shooter. Like he's the sniper that is there. Um, I think Kaluma is going to take a big leap. Like that's kind of where I'm at. Like Kaluma is like the super version of like the Jefferson Mahoney role. And then have like an actual true big there, which is something that team didn't really have. Like they had, um, they've like never really had like, like name the last example that, that McDermott's had. That's anything like Calc. But but, yo, no, 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 nothing like that. But they had someone on that team. I forget who it was. They could come in and like, B six foot ten or something like that. B six foot eleven. Oh, they had Kelvin Jones, the uh, your boy, yeah. Kelvin Jones the, uh, from Idaho State. Idaho State. <laughs> that's, that's right. I was gonna say. <laughs> I, I remember them being oh, able to man. put a big man on the court uh, this year. Uh, like they, they have everything they need this year from a talent perspective to be a great team. If Trey Alexander and Ryan Nemhard take a leap as a shooter, uh, that, that's really all I'm worried about. Because like I trust. 
Ryan Nemhard to go out and make great decisions. I trust Trey Alexander to be like the X factor playmaker who can lead their second unit, honestly, in minutes where Ryan Nemhard is out. They have Farabello who can come in and make really good decisions as like an older player. Uh, their offense, I think, is going to run really, really smoothly just because they have so much playmaking and ball handling ability. Uh, and then they have Shireman, who's like a killer sniper. They have guys that like, here's the thing about Kaluma. You actually have to treat him as a like real floor spacing play like ish kind of guy, because if you don't get up on him and make contact on him early, he is going to get to the basket because he's stronger and more physical than you are. Like you have to actually touch him uh, as he has the ball, because if you get him in a straight line driving, he's downhill and it's done. So, I think they're going to space the floor well. I think they have great playmaking. We trust Kalkbrenner inside. I don't know. Like, I, I get what you're saying, Jim. I think there are. I was signed with Jim. I was signed with Jim. Concern. This is a pretty convincing case, though. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I've actually put Creighton aside. I'm gonna rate them like last of any team. It's been the most polarized, polarizing yeah. discussed team of the offseason. So I'm gonna do them last. I'm compiling all information. This is good. These are just more inputs for me, Sam. Thank you for the, I, the I, bullish case. I get what Jim is saying because it's trusting. Nemhard, Alexander, particularly, I think those two to like get better and like take that next leap. But even if only one of them takes that leap, you still have Mitchell and Farabello off the bench to come in and like be able to make at least plays happen. And like, look, I mean, are those guys like the best players in the world? No, <laughs> no. But like, I, that's probably the best backup backcourt in the Big East, right? I do like Mitchell. Mitchell, and he's healthy. He's pretty good. I'm actually a, a fan of him. As you're making the point about depth, I think if Mitchell like your fourth guard off the bench, that's a pretty damn good place to be at. So yeah. So you know, I, I think this is a good team. I'm I'm pretty in on the roster construction at least. Like I think Jim brings up good points here, but like I'm in on the roster construction for Creighton. Yeah, um, I have him like 13th. I don't think this is like yeah, a garbage yeah, yeah. dumpster fire. I just like I think the <laughs> everyone has shoved them into top five. I'm just like, are we? Sure. Are we just remembering the things we like about them? This is like an ex-girlfriend. No. Oh, she was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on the idea of them being like a top five team. Like, I don't know that I would go there yet. Uh, okay. Like, you look at the projection systems. Like, they have them like in the 20s right now. But yeah. like, I would have Gonzaga. I would have Baylor. I would have North Carolina. I would have Houston ahead of them. Like unquestionably coming into the year. I, I wouldn't really even have to think twice about it. It's more, I think like that, like six through 10 range, I think is where they settle. And as we kind of talk about, and as we talked about before the show, like we often underrate drastically the number of teams that can make a final four in the preseason. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, everyone talks about like, oh, yeah, there are like 20 teams that can make the final four. Fucking North Carolina was like dead in the water in January last year and made the final four. Uh, every year there's a team that makes the final four that never would have appeared on those like January lists that could make the final. Yeah. The 22 no one thought teams that could Arizona make could make the final four last year and they yeah. were one of the best five teams in the country. So, yeah. And meanwhile, we're talking about like uh, all these bigs and like didn't mention Azolas Tabellis, like didn't yeah. mention, uh, you know, a number of other really, really great bigs like even Dickinson, Trey Shack. Hey, Zach. Zach Eady's probably Trace the, Jackson Davis. another yeah. a good answer to your question. Yeah, who's the most momentous to his team? Like imagine yeah. prognosticating Purdue this year without Edie. That, that, that would be a whole lot of, and that would be a, just a vastly different trajectory. 
Yeah, and like I think Trace Jackson Davis has a chance to be like the best player in the country if things like really broke right. Yeah. Uh he's absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, like the fact that I haven't mentioned him until now is I think it just says how many bigs there are around the country and how different this is and how sunburnt Jim looks now because of that light that he just yeah. on. I love that. I'm looking really red. I, I have not been in the sun, so I might I might turn it back off. Jim can like barely walk right now because of the torn ACL. And meanwhile, he looks like he's just been sitting by the car the whole time. Yeah. 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 It's a struggle. Okay. Struggle right now. The the last question I have on the bigs is who is this year's like breakout big man? Like the guy that you're looking at as a potential guy that nobody is talking about right now. Okay. Follow me. Go, Matt. Matt. Tristan De Silva. Bangs gavel. Okay. Give, give me the Tristan De Silva. I guess take. he was kind of awesome last year. I, I, it, did and explain for out? explain for people who listen to my podcast who the fuck Tristan De Silva is. <laughs> yeah, is a, this isn't the three man we murder. Of uh, he's a Colorado big guy who is going to yeah. come in the wake of Jabari Walker's phenomenal sophomore season yeah. last year. I think he's every bit as skilled and and I think he actually led the Pac-12 in effective. Like he shot, he's like has a chance to go 40, 50, 90 as a big. He's like skilled and fluid. I just love his game. I think he's going to be a Matt. Have you said who Tristan De Silva plays? Or yeah, you said he's following in the yeah Colorado for people who don't know where Jabari Walker went to school. I got got way too excited about Tristan De Silva. I watched some tape of him today, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's awesome!" I just forgot about how good he was. Um, That's Uh, my answer. Is that too off the beaten path for for this? No, I love it. It's good. Those are the kind of those are the kind of answers that we're looking for. Jim, give me an answer. I'm I'm giving two names, so I hope I'm not stealing from Kai. Uh, One is. Who's Triore of BYU? Uh, uh, no, I, I, he he's just a monster. Like his, he's got a seven-one wingspan. He's only six-seven, but I call him Mini Mormon Oscar because he is a <laughs> beast on both ends of the uh, of, the, of the, the court on the glass. He's disruptive uh, with his length in his hands, and I think he's going to be a lot better offensively this year. So big fan of him. And then the Loch Ness monster at Cincinnati, Victor Locken. Uh, he's a seven-foot. European big that started really strong last year and then kind of fell off because his first year in America and it it just didn't fully click with him defensively, but I I think he's going to be a beast for Cincinnati. So there's my two breakouts. Kai, I hope you, uh, hope you have one. Well, you guys went really off the beaten path. Like, yeah, Kai, get off off the entire radar. Um, (laughs) Hell yeah, we did. I'll I'll go with a guy that people know in certain circles, Deron Holmes from Dayton, uh, freshman last year, First team all conference last season. I think he's going to be player of the year in the A10 this year. I think he's going to be the defensive player of the year in the A10 this season. Dayton could be a top 25 team. If they are, you're going to learn about Holmes pretty quickly. 6'10, long, does just about everything. Yeah, I agree with uh I agree with Kai on both of those takes. I think that Dayton is a team particularly that I tried to target last year and uh Thanks. took some took some financial losses early in the season when year they lost to uh, UMass Lowell but I think I was just a year too early because yeah. Tamani Kamara, Deron Holmes, those guys are going to be really really good again. That team mm-hmm. is just absolutely loaded talent-wise for the A10. And uh, my 20 and 15 against the spread last year. If, if you stuck with them, yeah, they paid out well in A10 play, which I did. <laughs> I did not flyers. stick unfortunately. No. I made the mistake. Uh I got it. I got back in like later in the year, but I did not stick in uh, through the middle portion when they were actually probably valuable at a certain true, point. True, true. Um, my pick is Coleman Hawkins. Uh, yes. At yes. Illinois. I love it. And the big reason why is that I think that they have enough 
just general talent around him to where he's just going to be able to be an absolute athletic freak for Illinois and be able to just wreak havoc everywhere. Uh, this team is loaded like Terrence Shannon, Matthew Mayer, uh, like Sky Clark, Jaden Epps in the backcourt as freshman guards that could be valuable. Uh, this team should have the floor spacing to where Coleman Hawkins can just like absolutely eat as a rim runner uh, for Illinois and average like 15 points a game. Uh, I am I am in on Coleman Hawkins. I, I agree, Sam, because when Kofi was out last year, you saw how good he was at the beginning of yeah, the year. Yeah. It was like, whoa, who's this guy out of nowhere? And right. just kind of gleaning off press conferences that I was in with Illinois, I felt like Hawkins didn't truly know his role very well last year. He was just yeah. trying to fill in the voids between Kofi and everyone else. I think this year he has a more defined, go out and do your thing, Coleman Hawkins from Brett Underwood. I think he's going to be a star, too. Yeah, he can pass okay. and shoot too. Like he's yeah. skilled. He's he's awesome. Illinois yeah. is good. Killer. That's a good team. Yep. That's a really good Killer. team. Um, okay. Who is the best guard non Marcus Sasser edition uh, in college basketball? Because would we all agree that Marcus Sasser is the best returning guard to college basketball? Yeah. Yes, I would. Yep. Okay. So let's say non Marcus Sasser edition. Who is the best returning guard to college basketball? That's uh, Kendrick Davis. He's awesome, okay. um, but he's he's at Memphis, and I, I'm curious to see how he's used there because SMU, I mean, he was just given the keys to the car. It was score if you want to, pass if you want to, get in the lane whenever you want. You're a jitterbug. You're great in ball screens. I think Memphis is going to use him the same way. I actually talked to Penny Hardaway for the Almanac. Bring that back circle and full <laughs> circle here. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Like I watched him at SMU up close and personal. He won our league's player of the year. He's great. We're going to let him be do his thing. So I, it's probably Kendrick Davis for me, but there's a couple fringe ones. That's my answer. Kai, what do you got? I'm going to give a bit of a cute answer here. And I'm not sure I totally believe it, but I don't think this guy gets enough credit in, in the national sense. And that's Tiger Campbell for me. That's who I was going to say, actually, Kai. I wow. think he's Get out of here. awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. He's a, he's got that swagger plus the awesome hair. And, and he improved his shooting last year, which is one of his biggest yeah. you know downfalls from the years before. Shot over 40% from three. He never turns the ball over, runs the offense really well for them. I think UCLA is going to be somehow a little bit underrated this year with him and Hawkins. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think Campbell's excellent. Sorry, I yeah. went, uh, I threw to the fire. I just, when I'm picking this, I need a guy who can like, who's a killer and an alpha sort of way. And Campbell actually did a little bit of that last season. So I don't want to like discount that. But he can I be just, a killer. He can be, I, yeah. but I think Davis is like, I can take over games by myself, and I carried a whole team for three straight years, and I think Davis is probably the right answer. I'll probably go Flagler. I'm going to go in that Baylor lineage of guards. Flagler's shot-making is just mm-hmm. devastating, especially in transition. Um, man, it's tough, though. I, the guards are down this year. I think you're kind of, if people are like, what? These are the names yeah. you're mentioning. It's sort of a, a it, it kind of speaks volumes about there- lack of guard play because your NBA, Sam, your NBA keeps poaching our. I think they're down until they're not. I think you're going to see a lot of good guard play. We just are waiting on Cassius Winston was a no name before he became player of the year candidate, right? For Michigan State. No one expected him yeah. to break out that year. I mean, he, he was a top a different 50 level. He, in the country, though. We, we knew him, but he yeah, went to but like, he was, holy crap, he shoots 60% from yeah. three level. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my pick. Other, I think that the two guys that came to mind for me were Tiger Campbell and Mike Miles at TCU. I think Mike Miles has a chance to be awesome this year for TCU. He returned to school after kind of initially deciding that he was just done with college and like wanted to go pro. Um, 
his playmaking ability, his three level scoring, I would imagine he's going to try and improve on the passing ability this year. Like that's probably what teams uh, in the NBA told him. I'm a big fan of Mike Miles. Uh, I think that Mike Miles and Tiger Campbell probably would have been my would have been my two answers. I think R.J. Davis is a reasonable answer as well. I um, thought that was going to be cute. Kai's cute answer yeah, was R.J. Davis. Davis. Is a good pick. I thought that was where he was going to go. I, I'll I, say I, this too, I like for love, but I'm, I'm the guy that like I. I the guy that I'm like most excited about, or I would have been most excited about watching was Tyrese Hunter, but I'm a little bit worried about the fit between Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter in yeah. Texas. The fit that, stinks. The fit stinks. Yeah. Like I, I think Tyrese Hunter is like a future, you know, second round pick, like NBA backup guard, just being six foot tall. It's hard. Um, but I, I just don't know what that looks like this year, I guess is what I would say. Um, I am a big Tyrese Hunter fan though. Uh, Okay, last question here. National Player of the Year odds. Those are not up at BetMGM yet, but they are up at William Hill. Uh, Armando Baycott, 8-1. to one. Drew Timmy, 8-1. to one. Oscar Shibway, 10-1. to one. Jaime Jaquez, 11-1. to one. Caleb Love, 12-1. to one. Jalen Wilson, 14-1. to one. Strother, 14-1. to one. Marcus Sasser, 15-1. to one. Uh, Nick Smith and Tiger Campbell, 16-1. to one. Hunter Dickinson, 20-1. to one. Trace Jackson Davis, 25-1. to one. And Monty Bates, 28. EMU is going yeah. deep in the tournament this year, baby. No, no thoughts on that. Um, it's, a, it's a sad situation. I don't have thoughts on that. I'm laughing yeah. at the odds, to be very clear. Right. The odds yeah. are yeah. makers. It's not going to happen. Uh, Kevin McCullough, 30 to 1. Kendrick Davis, Kendrick Davis, 40 to 1. Baylor Shireman, Mike Miles, 40 to 1. Matt Bradley, Posh Alexander, Isaiah Wong, Zach Eady, Tyrese Hunter, Antoine Davis, 50 to 1. Uh, and then nice. that's going to be it. Who is the name on that list? In terms of odds that sticks out to you, let's start with Matt. I think King Kendrick is is a good bet just because I think Memphis does have, does have pretty serious upside, even though it's an older team. I actually think this team has quite a bit of upside despite being older. Um, and he's a guy. Can, can you has, sell me on that real quick? Because I'm struggling with that take. You don't. You're not a Memphis guy this year. I don't love the talent. I love the athleticism. I don't love the talent. Jim has a good, well baked Memphis take. I don't want to recite his points, um, but but I think Kendrick. I'll paraphrase what he says much more eloquently. He, he kind of solves a lot of their issues. And I still think they have a lot of rim protection. Do they have the imposing dominant shot blocker they've had the last past years when they've had a top five, top 10 defense? No, but I think it's pretty close with the guys they brought in. So there's a lot more adults on that team. And I just tend to think it's going to work this season. I mean, it also helps that they have a player in DeAndre Williams that is older than Devin Booker, I believe. Is he 27? Uh, and Devin 26? Booker has been in the NBA for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> DeAndre Williams is 26. He'll play this year at 26. That's, That's crazy. Insane. If he's not, if he's not older than Devin Booker, it's like very close that he's older than Devin Booker. Um, Jim. I, I, so, sorry. Nick Smith is going to be my actual yeah, answer. I think Nick Smith okay, has Nick Smith. like major star breakout potential and Arkansas has a lot of that cachet to him. And they're going to only play like seven guys for the final two months of the year. And he'll put up video game stats. I think Nick Smith's a special player. Yeah. I think he could be a, like a Holy cow. Uh, I won't steal your answer, Sam, because I think I know who you're going to go with. And I kind of tend to agree with it as, as the best value. No, Go ahead. Cause I, I have another one. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to go, I'll, I'll give a, a down the board bet too, but Sasser is the guy I love. I, I think he could emerge as best guard on best team. Uh, I obviously beat the drum for Houston earlier. So I've got to give a, Sasser a little love here. He's the 
shooting star for a team that maybe is a little starved for perimeter shooting. Uh, he's going to be very important in that regard. So 15 to one, a little down the line from all those big men. I kind of like, uh, and then down the board, you know what Kai pointed it out to me, so I won't swipe it. I'll, I'll, I'll leave. If he doesn't say it, I'll, I'll reiterate it, but go ahead, Kai. I, I can't remember who you're referring to, but, uh, okay. Oh, Oh, Edie. Yeah. Edie 50 yeah. to one. He could yeah, average exactly yeah, 20 50 and 15. To one. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that's, I mean, value wise Sasser is the best value in my opinion. And then it's Edie, but Boy, you got the returning national player of the year at the third shortest odds, 10 to 1 for Shibway. Uh, inertia is a real thing. And I think voters who are basically just media members are going to be thinking that guy won player of the year last year. He had the exact same stats. Why shouldn't he be player of the year this year? I'm going with Shibway. Yeah, what's what's stronger, Sam? Inertia or exhaustion? I yeah, exhaustion. Uh, I don't know. I will say in awards voting. Does tend to be exhaustion, but yeah, the likability factor I think with Oscar is really yeah. important. Also, the fact that you know, like Kentucky is going to be relevant the whole year, right? Um, like that, that yeah, I think that those outweigh things, and I think people like because of how likable Oscar is. If he goes out and has mm-hmm. a killer year again and improves like defensively and improves and averages like eighteen and sixteen or eighteen and seventeen as opposed to what did he average like sixteen and fifteen last year, I think that there will be a real desire there won't there won't be as much uh concern about exhaustion because he's so likable and just people really enjoy the presence that is oscar shibway uh trace jackson davis is mine like this indiana team is going to be really good uh trace jackson davis 25 to 1 uh i think mike woodson like really figured out how to get him post touches last year at a really high level i think he's a killer defender uh if he averaged 20 and 10 this year that wouldn't blow my mind at all I, i think he in terms of like I don't think, and look, we didn't do it enough on this podcast either, but like in terms of most impactful player or best player in college basketball, there is a real case for Trace Jackson Davis. Like he is all around just a killer player, I think, for Indiana. Um, do you have any other last takes to get out here before I let you all depart? I'll say on these odds, I, I, I think the exhaustion almost probably factors more into Timmy. I think it's going to be really hard for Drew Timmy to win national player of the year for Gonzaga, the team that people are kind of like, you always two straight Timmy led teams have not gotten as far as, or they didn't reach the ceiling. They didn't climb the mountain. So that's probably more exhaustion than, than Oscar has. Matt and Kai, do you have any final takes on college basketball as a whole? Oh yeah. Go by the almanac. Uh, It's the best. We're done. Uh, 1,300 words in every single team. So from Mississippi Valley State to Gonzaga, every single team covered. Get you prepped for the year. Anonymous coach polls in every conference about That's best Econo coach, yes. breakout player, best pro player in every conference. That Those are great. There's some national content write-ups at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be very extensive. There, there's a lot of information to digest in there. Yeah, I think that, as you guys can tell, and Matt, you should get a final say here as well. These guys uh, really do a phenomenal job. Uh, They were willing to wax poetically about bigs for BYU uh, for minutes on this show. Uh, And and Matt Matt didn't have the context to understand that nobody on the podcast knew who the fuck Tristan De Silva is. (laughs) So... Matt, your last. That was my final thought. I was like, make sure you guys go Google Tristan Da Silva. He plays for Colorado. <laughs> it's a school in Boulder. It's a very nice city. You can 
indulge in some extracurricular activities and enjoy the mountains and such and kind of take it all in later there. That's my final two cents of wisdom for the listeners out there. I love it. We'll do this again. I have thought of an idea to like just run through the betting odds for each conference uh, in the preseason. I don't know if I will steal you or someone else to do this, but uh, this has been a really fun show. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to plug outside of the almanac? Uh, do we do anything else besides that, guys? Pretty much no. Twitter, 3MW underscore CB. Nice. Yeah, check us out. Kaiser podcast, guy. all that stuff. Get, I'm very bad at tell, it. Tell the people about the podcast, please. Yeah, our podcast, Three Men Weave, college basketball podcast. Every single week, previews hit on games during the year, betting lens, and also from a news perspective and an insight takes perspective on college it's, basketball. It's a very on-court focused. Uh, yes. We're not really like... In you know, plugged in insiders like Matt Norlander and, and Gary Parrish do. We're not comedy like the the Titus and Tate. Like we're we're trying to look but at we're the funny. games and analyze. Well, yeah. we're 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 the PBS of college basketball. We're the CNN of college. <laughs> oh, basketball. that's tough. That sounds that's tough, tough, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, yes. you can edit that out, please. <laughs> do I need I'm trying to sum up like? how you guys describe this. Like we're not that cool. And we're not. You guys see why they bully Matt? (laughs) (laughs) We're we're the the history channel of college basketball. National (laughs) Geographic of college basketball. We're the Shark Week of college basketball podcast. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week with more. I believe the first show next week will be a spins episode on the draft in some way uh, or another idea that we've been thinking about. And then Wednesday and Friday, we will have some early NBA training camp stuff. Uh, but there will be more college basketball e breakdowny stuff like this uh, as we get closer to the college basketball season. But until next time, we will talk soon. Thank you.